Hello and welcome to the Odds Checker Betting Podcast. We've had Royal Ascot, we've had Glorious Goodwood, and we now move on to one of the biggest flat meetings of the summer. It is the four-day Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor Festival. Of course, it's held on the Naves Mile. We've got some of the biggest races of the week, include the Jubmon International, the Yorkshire Oaks, the Nunfort Stakes, and of course, the £500,000 Skybet Ebor on Saturday afternoon. And we're going to be joined for all four days to preview the action with Andy Holden, Oddschecker's resident tipster. You can read Andy's tips on the Oddschecker app every day and also Rory Delaghi. First off, Andy, obviously you had a good weekend. Great ambassador, your nap struck on Saturday. How have you kind of found the racing at the minute Are you leading into your, do you feel, you know, the ground starting to dry up a little bit as well? It kind of the results are sticking to what we'd usually think in terms of, you know, we're not having soft ground mudlocks winning every week now. Well, having doing it, done it every day um, for like the last uh, uh, three or four months uh, without much of a pause. Um, there has been some still funny results out there, Dan. Um, I mean, there's been 125 to one shots, 80 to one shots here, there and everywhere. But I just think that's indicative of fairly low grade stuff. And what I've tended to find, I mean, Rory uh, has, has been the same way, but, you know, you get these build-ups to these big meetings and it goes really quiet for a week or two. Um, and, and and we sort of, the, the, the better horses go into hiding and, and obviously... That, you know, connections are waiting for the, the bigger and better prizes. Um, so it can be a tough grind day in, day out. Um, you're just basically trying to keep your head above water and cherry pick and, and, and just almost go through there um, with, you know, trying to, trying to stop the bleeding, as it were, until the better meeting comes along and you, you can crack on and really get stuck in. But I always find this meeting is probably the hardest one of the whole lot um, because you often find that a lot of the horses that come here with big numbers, big reputations, big performances behind them can tread on a few banana skins just because they're, they're stepping on foot on, on York. York is a very funny surface. Luckily, it's going to be a clean surface this week because the, the rain is due to keep away for the thick end of the week. Uh, so we should get nice ground. But um, I'll be treading very, very carefully with horses that haven't run at York before. And um, Rory, obviously, you had a great weekend. You tipped up just another bottle, the great Sim Wilfred winner. What about yourself going into the meeting and just your thoughts ahead of York? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a, a little bit more um, positive and confident now than I have been for a while. It's, it's been slightly ironic that um, we did um, Royal Ascot and my, my best bet there was pulled out at the last minute and then won next time out. And that's good. Goodwood, my two best bets of the week, um, both um, well, one of them uh, wouldn't line up. And then the other one was uh, was scuppered by the rain at the, at the weekend and finished nearly last. And both of those, just on the bottle, was the second of those. Uh, won the uh, won the Great St Wilfred. So I've been waiting for him for about two years for the Stewards Cup, and then the rain absolutely absolutely ruined his chance. Uh, but he showed that he could do it ripping. So um, it's been a, a slightly annoying in that I was much more heavily involved in the pair of them, him and Just Hubert, than I than I was when they won. Um, but still positive results, and it makes you think that at least you're doing something right. And looking ahead to York, chaps, obviously, just in terms of as a track, would you say it's quite fair in general? Um, I think, I, yeah, it's a fair track. I tend to look for horses that they're going to be held up off the pace on the round track in particular. Um, I mean, Rory will probably go into the more dynamics about the draw. Um, depending on what distance, I, I, I think it matters less. The further back they go, the more chance you've got of getting in and getting a clearer run in the home straight. I think the mile and a half beyond that, the Ebor, for instance, high numbers tend to not dominate, but they, they seem to do okay in, in comparison to how you'd think. Um, 
And on the straight track, you know, usually down the tip of the arrow, really, something down the centre. You don't want to be drawn on either side of the flank. If you've got 22 running straight across the track and you fancy one, it's drawn one or it's drawn 22, you're probably unlikely to draw. Um, so not necessarily so much horses held up on the straight track, um, but on the round track. If you're on a front runner there, you're usually, um, yeah, re in real trouble. It's a bit like Doncaster. The front front runners often get eaten alive. But a lot of people still still refer to York as a front runner's track. Interestingly, um, which is not borne which out. Is, which, not borne well, out it, it yeah, it, it isn't on the. I mean, it can be done. It's not like beyond the realms of impossibility. But I would I would say there's a good uh, you know data nowadays to suggest that you you want to be mid division to, towards the back of the field. Yeah, uh, turning yeah. for home. And again, that's, I think that's why you end up with, with uh, the high draws doing pretty well in the distance races as well, because yeah. what you don't want to do is commit too early and then head across to the rail. Um, a, you're going fast enough in the first place, and B, if you're, if you're just behind that phalanx on the inside, you tend to struggle to get a run. Um, and I quite like seeing a track where the field uh, largely comes up the centre. Um, there should be fewer hard luck stories then. Although York's one of those tracks that theoretically very, very fair indeed, wide, long straights, um, those are all positives, but there seem to be a small number of horses, a small percentage of horses who just seem to absolutely loathe the place despite mm. getting into them. Uh, and as you said, it, it always helps to have horses who've run well before there because you can rule out that um, Yorkitis, if you like. Um, you also have the issue of horses having to um, uh, come across the track from the stables. So horses who are quite um, highly strung can be put off by that as well. Uh, so again, that's, that's worth bearing in mind. But if horses have run well at the meeting before or run well at, at one of the other big meetings at York, then that's a big positive going forward. We're recording this on a Monday afternoon. Obviously, the weather forecast at the moment suggests that it could be a pretty dry week at York. It's currently good. The weather forecast looks, despite being quite cloudy, pretty settled for the next few days. That obviously, you know, it's quite different to what we've had at Royal Ascot and Glorious Goodwood, where the ground has even changed throughout the week. So we're going into it, hopefully with uh, a steady forecast, which should be good. Certainly makes life easier when you're doing podcasts like this. I mean, me and Rory have been um, sort of almost having to second guess what's going to happen. And mm -hmm. that true Shan, like I say, he was, he was a huge point in case, wasn't he, at Royal Ascot, where we both were very keen on him. And looking at the rain maps, it was going to absolutely book it down Wednesday night to Thursday. And of course, that materialised the day after and he was a withdrawal. And as we saw at Goodwood, what happened, he probably would have won the Gold Cup. But anyway, that's by the by. Um, but yeah, with a, with a clear forecast through the majority of the week, by the looks of it, at least we're, for the purposes of this one anyway, with the Wednesday and Thursday, um, it, it should be not um, decent ground. Great. So then we move on to actually previewing the action itself. And before we do get into that, just let me point you in the direction of Odds the Odd Checker app. It's the best place to compare odds, extra places and offers between the major bookmakers. And you'll also get free daily tips from Andy and many more. So we're going to kick off this afternoon with the 225 on Wednesday. That's the Tattersall's Acom Stakes, a group free event, a £100,000 prize fund and five runners go to post for the seventh furlong event. The Barbie legend heads the betting at the minute at 15 to 8 for Hugo Palmer. Noble Truth is 9 to 4 for Charlie Appleby and William Buick. You've then got Eraz at 5 to 2. Imperial Fighter is 6 to 1 for Andrew Balding. And finally, the outsider of the five at 20 to 1 is Royal Patronage with Mark Johnston. So, an interesting race, chaps, in terms of Noble Truth and Eraz have already met uh, so far this term. But Dababi Legend is the favourite. And do you think he's a solid favourite, Rory? 
Well, it's it's never that easy with um with seven furlong group races for two year olds um at this stage of the season because um they're they're usually stepping up uh, from maiden company or novice company um and there's a lot of supposition going on so whether you could call a horse who's who's won a novice uh, on his only start a solid favourite for a group race is um is up for debate but I thought he was uh, visually very impressive um to Bowie Legends. Um, he's, he hasn't posted an especially good time and, and uh, Andy will be the man to speak to about this. Uh, I don't have um, uh, closing sectional figures, but I imagine his, his, um, uh, his closing um, couple of furlongs at Doncaster w- w- would have been very impressive because they didn't go very fast early on. They looked they look to be about eight horses with a chance of furlong and a half out, and he's absolutely run them into the ground. Uh, and that's, uh, in my view, that's, that's very impressive. You see horses winning by wide margins on debut when they're given the run of the race or when they go fast up front and stop. Uh, and this is one where, in theory, they're all quickening. Um, but he was quickening much better than them. To win by five lengths in the end, I thought was a very impressive performance from, from Dubawi Legend. Uh, strictly speaking, slightly less than, than both um, Eras and Noble Truth. But of course, they've had a couple of runs to do that. Um, and um, my, um, my gut feeling is that Dubawi Legend is the, is the right favourite here. I wouldn't say the Acom is is um, is a particular a particular favourite punting race uh, for me. We've seen plenty of um, plenty of really well fancied horses, well touted horses, horses who've looked impressive first time up get buried in this race. Mm-hmm. Um, and historically, it's never been a great race to um, to try to buy money in. But uh, from what I've seen, I think he's the right favourite. He looks an exciting prospect. Andy, what are your thoughts on the race? Yeah, I can put some flesh on the bones regards that performance at Doncaster. Um, his time figure, as Rory said, wasn't anything special. It was it was adequate. Um, it's a 79 on our ratings, which, if you're looking for an average, our, our good two-year-olds often do 85 or over, over and, and the real good ones, which has been probably about a dozen of them so far this season, have, have run over a 90. Uh, Sandrine uh, being the quickest, along with Lucille. Uh, they've both recorded 93s on our time figure. So you can see the golfing difference there between a genuine group one two-year-old in a in a end to end gallop on the day itself on, on on you know on, on in that, in that particular environment, um, but yeah the back end section was tremendous. Thirty two eight he did from three out, which um, was very healthy in comparison to Clive Cox's horse um, Aratus who who clocked thirty four two, so about a second and a half difference between that horse quickening from three and an older um, handicapper who we know is very useful. So, obviously, this horse is now going to go and prove it, itself in a hotter environment where the pace is likely to be stronger. I'd imagine Royal Patronage will go off in front. He made the running last time out. Most of Mark Johnson horses in these kind of small field races with a bit of experience tend to do that anyway. So, at least we're not going to get a dawdle here. Um, but I, I must admit, I, I think the best form coming into this race is, is quite clearly between Eras and, and Noble Truth, certainly based on the numbers. Um, Noble Truth beat Eras, uh, as you pointed out, Dan, um, at HQ earlier in the year. But Eras was having his first run in his life. Uh, and Noble Truth had had the benefit of having a run at the track previously. Uh, I think that experience, and in particular where they were drawn on the track as well, um, was a huge advantage towards Noble Truth. He was drawn more middle towards the far side where the race developed. And Eras challenged right at the standside rail, which ended up being to his detriment. He then went to Ascot Eras and, and bolted up in a very fast time, quickening well, uh, getting over the ground really well, and his back-end sectionals are incredibly good. Um, so I think I'd probably prefer him out of those two. Um, Richard Hannon's two roles in general this season have been a very high standard. I think this one's easily the pick, along with Lou Sale. 
Um, he could easily be up there with Lusal, I don't know, but he, he's very flashy and I think York will suit him because, like I said, the way he gets over the ground, I think he'd be well suited to this surface. So um, he, he'd do for me. And I, th- I think I'd almost say he should be favourite, but anyway, that's just my, my personal view. Okay, interesting. And just a word, Rory on Imperial Fighter, the other first time out winner for Andrew Boarding, who could hopefully have been for a big week, I'm guessing, if he wants to win the Trainers' Championship this year. Yeah, uh, again, on the figures, he's got a little bit to find, but um, his speed figure for that, for his debut was good. Um, that was on heavy ground at the Goodwood after the um, after the overnight rain. Um, I think a lot of people will look at that and say, you know, that's maybe one to be slightly wary of. But it's fairly rare for Andrew Bolton to get a first-time out two-year-old winner. If you back his two-year-old second time up, um, you do very well. And he, he had, he had um, two winners at uh, Royal Ascot um, second time up. <coughs> Both of them very good prices as well. Um, an Imperial fighter might might very well fit in the same category. Um, he's in the Dewhurst, um, and Andrew Balding has got a he's got a lot of good two year olds. He doesn't consider his geese to be swans, so the fact that Imperial fighter has a, a Group One entry is uh, is significant, and and you certainly shouldn't be judging him uh, a heavy ground horse just because the ground happened to come up very soft on his debut. Um, that was certainly softer than would have been expected when he was entered for that race. The going would have been good and drying out when he was declared. Um, so I wouldn't judge him on the fact that that was heavy and it could be anything. And as I said, you know, it's been nine years. Um, this tends to be a small field, a group race, but it's nine years since an outright favorite won it. Now I'm not a big fan of favorite stats, particularly in big field handicaps, you know, in a 20 runner handicap where they're all tightly, uh, tightly rated. Um, you don't expect many outright favorites to be winning if the, uh, if the form is transparent, uh, but in group races, you know, you should be getting regular, uh, favorites winning these races and the, the, as I said when I started here, um, the Acom is a tough race to 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 um, analyze because all the horses who line up are open to improvement, and you're guessing how much improvement is going to come from them. Some of them who look like they're going to improve a stone won't improve at all, and some of them who look like they've reached a peak will suddenly improve by ten pounds. That's the nature of two-year-olds at this kind of trip and beyond. So I wouldn't be ruling Imperial Fighter out. As I said, I think Dubawi Legend is is the right favourite, but that's up for debate. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's a he's a bet at short of two to one. So just to round up, Andy, it looks like Rory's going with the Barbie legend. What camp are you in in the Aiken? Yeah, I'll stick with Eras. Um, like I said, I liked him when he won at Ascot. And hopefully he's um, improved enough to turn the form around with Noble Truth. We then move on to the three o'clock, the Skybit Great Vulture Stakes, a group two event over 12 furlongs, £150,000 prize fund and eight runners go to post for this event, including a number of horses who actually ran in this year's derby. The market is headed, though, by a Royal Ascot winner in Kamari for William Buick and Charlie Appleby at 9-4. to You've then got high definition at 7-2 to for Aidan O'Brien. His stable companion, Salukan, is a 9-2 to shot ahead of Third Realm, who's in at 5-1. to With your beer and you spirit both at 10-1, to the Mediterranean is an 11-1 to shot. And finally, Scope is a 20-1 to shot. So eight horses go to post for this event. Kamari was impressive when defeating Wordsworth at Royal Ascot. But what do you make to his chances in this event, Rory? Um, he was impre- he was impressive uh, on his previous start when, when winning a maiden, um, which was uh, which had worked out reasonably well at at, uh, at Yarmouth, as I said. And at Ascot, he seemed to win with a bit more in hand than the the, the margin of a length and a half. My only issue is I think the uh, Queen's Vans was a pretty moderate race this year. Um, that would be the concern. Obviously, he's got that he's got the Grade Two win on his card, or Group Two rather, I should say. Um, I'm not sure it was up to Group Two standard this year, and he's got to give he's got to give three pounds to uh, uh, to his rivals in this race. And I think 
I think he might struggle um, dropping back in trip. Of course, the Voltature is a St. Ledger trial uh, and always has been sort of the main St. Ledger trial, but it's not, um, you know, it's actually short of a mile and a half. Um, so if you're dropping back from a mile and six, uh, that's a little bit of a concern. So while I liked how, how Kamari did it and while I respect the fact that Charlie Appleby's got a tremendous team of, um, of three-year-olds this season, I just wonder whether the concession of three pounds might just be beyond him in this race. Um, so I'm not I'm not massively keen to be backing him at the prices. Um, the O'Brien runners are very interesting, despite the fact that he's had a pretty moderate um, season outside the classics in the UK. I think he'd be happy enough, given how the classics have gone, to be perfectly honest. Um, but some disappointments at, at Goodwood um, and Royal Ascot was it was um, uh, similarly, you know, he wasn't making the headlines that he has in the past. But High Definition and Sir Lucan are both interesting here. Sir Lucan arguably should have won the Gordon Stakes. Um, he was um, he was coming off a break there. Um, he hadn't run since Navin in May. Um, the the St. Ledger appears to be his uh, his main aim, um, and he was given an exaggerated waiting ride by Frankie de Tory. Looks to be travelling very well at the head of the straight, but there was a good gap for him to come through with about two and a half furlongs to run, and uh, Frankie waited, um, no doubt under instruction, to come as late as possible. But I think the winner really got first run on him there, and he was closing fast at the line, uh, and give the impression that if he'd um, if he'd been asked for his effort a little bit sooner, um, he might have won that. And there's also the, the possibility that he wasn't um, 100% fit on the day after a break as well. So he should come on for the run. Cheek pieces on first time, you can read in in a couple of ways, but Aidan's won derbies with horses wearing cheek pieces in the past. So it's not a massive concern. Um, I'd be more concerned if the ground got very quick for Sir Lucan, um, given most of his form is, is with a little bit of ease. Um, but I think he looks to be... Um, one horse in the race, he's got scope to do better this autumn, and he seems to have been laid out for an autumn campaign. So I would just about make him the pick here. But again, it's not the, it's not a race that I could approach with a huge amount of confidence. Okay, interesting thoughts. Andy, just before I get your selection, what do you make, obviously, of the forgotten horse in many ways, high definition? Obviously very impressive in two starts last year. He was anti-post favourite for the derby. He didn't end up making that race. He disappointed then in the Irish derby. What do you kind of think about him returning to York? I think we're at the crossroads, really, with our definition, aren't we? Um, you'd give him a pass on his first run uh, in the Dante when, you know, it was a bit of a rush preparation. I think they were trying to um, juggle the pack with regards to their derby horses, and he was obviously high on the high on the shortlist. He missed the derby um, when Bolshoi Bally went there. Obviously, that ended up being an um, incorrect decision by, by Bally Doyle in the end, and they decided to wait for the... The Curra, now to all intents and purposes, the Curra was his race, you know, the Irish Derby. It was on home soil, it was a track where he was two for two, and there was no real excuse as far as I can see. So he's a difficult one to weigh up. He's had another 53-day break uh, coming into York. At least he's got York form. Mm-hmm. It's quite a few of these haven't, uh, having already been on the nose more once. That's a positive. I think a lot to, a lot to, um, will... Um, stem from what, which horse Ryan Moore ends up choosing. If he stays loyal to high definition, um, that would be interesting because, you know, the other two or three horses, that, uh, sorry, the other two horses that Aiden Abron's got here have got strong claims and, and their own right. So, in, in short, I, I don't really know what to do with him, really. Uh, and I think a lot of punters won't know that either. Either uh, talk, Talking of Aiden Abron, I, I agree with Roy. I think Salukin is the bet here. Um, at time recording, he's in and around the four to one mark. Let's say you can get bigger and he's shorter, you know, with other firms. But I think if all eight runners got a post and you can get four to one, I think he's he represents a fairly solid each way. But it's hard to see him not being in the three based on his run 
at Goodwood when I agree with Rory probably should have won. Interestingly, the cheek pieces have gone on, so the perhaps connections feel as though that he needs a little bit of assistance making his mind up. Uh, but he travels really well in his races, which I think is significant. He gives himself every chance. Travels well, but doesn't over-race. Over um, and he's also going to be held up at the back, I think, which is another key factor. He's likely to be having nothing to do with the early speed, which is what you want here at York. Um, whereas a good one, they tend to get away from you, but here they're coming back to you. And I think most of his work has been, or his stronger work has been done in the latter part of the race, particularly when he beat Wordsworth the time before at Navan. He was very strong in that latter stage that day going up the hill. Um, so regardless of who Ryan Moore rides, I would be with him at 92. And I do think Scope is a one worth worth mentioning as well at a big price. He's 20, 25 to one. Uh, don't forget he finished third in the Linfield Derby trial and he just be on Adiar. Um, he's probably more ground relight maybe than one or two. That's, uh, Laurie mentioned Salukin perhaps wanting a bit of ease, but I think Salukin's run fine on, on good ground on his last two runs. But um, I don't think it is going to rain, but if, if it was, there's one or two showers forecast for Thursday, then Tuesday, then he's he's definitely a player on, on several bits of form this season at, at a bigger price. Your beer pulled too hard at Goodwood. I'm not sure that the uh, Gelding operation and, and the Hudders will quite work with him. And I think third realm, maybe he does want a bit of ease in the ground as well. So, yeah, I'm in agreement with Rory. We're both settled on um, Salukin. Whereas I'd probably go each way. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the last thing to say on that is uh, we do have the jockey bookings now um, and Frank Editore is on sort of looking again which doesn't put me off in the slightest no. it affects the betting slightly um, but I'm more than happy to be back in Frankie on one of Aidan's and looking ahead chaps obviously you talk about Salukin as a, as a St Ledger type how this race obviously in the past what, what's been the record kind of a, of a great voltage winner or even a horse that's been placed in the race going on to Ledger can it act as Quite a key classic clue. I think Logician won it 2019. He obviously went on to win. But generally speaking, it's been a bit of a... Um, you know, you haven't really got much of a solid guide. Certainly from the winners, Pile Driver won it last year, Old Persian the year before, Cracksman, Idaho. So it, mixed messages, really, from the, from the Voltager. Historically, um, it's been historically it's been good. Um, but it's it, less of a guide in recent years than, yeah, than it was, that, say, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty sums it up pretty well. So Andy's already mentioned that Solu can around four to one, but he's as big as nine to two with Betfair. So obviously make sure that you do shop around on the odds checker app for all the best prices. But both the guys are going with Solu can for Aidan O'Brien and Frank Editori in the Great Vulture at three o'clock. We then move on to the big race of the day. Well, of the of the meeting, arguably the one million pound Judmont International Stakes over ten furlongs runs at three thirty five p.m. live on ITV Racing. We've got a field of seven going to post. Obviously, we'll reflect on the news this morning, which has clearly shaken up the market. But at the moment, Aidan O'Brien now relies on Love, who is a 7-4 to favourite. You've got Mishrif then in at 2-1 to for John and Fade Gosden. Alcohol-free, the Sussex Stakes heroine is 5-1. to Jim Crowley and William Haggis team up with Mo Harforth, who's 7-1. to You've then got Alenka at 14-1, to Max Sweeney at 16-1, to and finally, Juan Elcano at 33-1. to But clearly, chaps, the, the big News to start on is obviously that St. Mark's Basilica, an impressive winner of the Coral Eclipse. He has not been declared for the race after developing an infection from an incident on the gallops on Monday morning. And luckily, Ballydor did decide to leave in love as the super sub. But how much has that changed kind of your opinion of the race and where what, what selection you'd be going for now? <clears throat> start with you, uh, Rory. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's, it would have changed my selection. I thought St. Mark's Basilica would have been 
um, pretty hard to beat here. Um, and obviously, Love's come in, and she she would have gone for the uh, for the Yorkshire Oaks instead. Um, has been drafted in here. I'd be pretty keen on Mishriff. I have to say. I mean, you you could argue um, his reputation has been a little bit tarnished, but I think uh, it appears now that he just needed the run at Sandown in the Eclipse. That's the way he shaped in it. It was slightly disappointing to find from the yard that he that he wasn't wound up for a for a Group One um, coming back from his travels. But I think John Gosden very much aware that difficult to get a horse to, to peak, um, not just um, for Dubai, but also in Saudi Arabia as well, which he's done for the last couple of seasons. And he wasn't at his best at the tail end of last season, possibly as a result of that. And I think John Gosden has been has been um, at pains to make sure that he had a he had a good enough break so that he'd be firing. Um, come late summer, early autumn. Um, and as a result, he was just a bit undercooked at Sandown. He ran an awful lot better um, in the King George. Um, I've got no, um, no problem saying that's a very, very good performance. I think a day are, has just surprised people, but he really is a, um, a worthy Derby winner, worthy King George winner now. And uh, Mishriff has the clear beating of love on that running. Um, not that easy to find excuses for love um, because the ground, most people said beforehand, um, the ground coming very fast for the King George was in her favour. She didn't seem to enjoy it on the day, but you know she she'd come off a, a win on firm ground in the uh, the Prince of Wales Stakes before that. I'm just not convinced by her this season. You know she missed a few um, early season targets. Um, she was reasonably impressive in the Prince of Wales Stakes, but again, I thought that was a weak Group One in the end. I think she was while it was a good performance to win that after the break that she had. Um, I'm I'm not sure it was a great performance in the wider scheme of things, um, and I think she's probably better judged now on, on what she achieved in the King George, which gives her a little bit to find. Um, and it's worth pointing out that just because you're an absolutely top-notch three-year-old, it doesn't automatically follow that you're going to be um, in the same position as a four-year-old. You've got to you've got to progress again um, because you're not getting the alliances in races like this. So. Um, maybe we overrated Love a little bit last season based on, on um, her beating three-year-old fillies. Um, I wouldn't want her to be ruling her out, um, but I think she's been a little bit, a little overrated for me this season. Um, and Mishriff has maybe just gone under the radar a little bit because of a couple of defeats. Um, but I thought he was back to his best um, in the King George last time out. I think he's better at a mile and a quarter than a mile and a half as well. Um, I was just about to say, I think, I interviewed... Yeah, with, with a couple of runs behind him. No, I was just going to say, I interviewed David Egan two weeks ago about that, and he said, you know, the, the drop back to 10 furlongs is probably the thing that we're most looking forward to more than anything. 12 furlongs just stretches in, whereas yeah. 10 furlongs is obviously his ideal trip. Or 10 and a half. You can argue 10 and a half is ideal trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially yeah. what he gets with the same, same distance as the uh, as the Prix de Jockey Club. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think he's got everything in his favour. He will be, the ground will be fine for him. He's effective and soft. He's effective and firm uh, and anything in between. And with a couple of runs behind him, he should be at his very peak now. So I've got no issues with Mishriff. Um, Love, I'm just, I wouldn't be adamant, but I haven't been completely convinced this season that she's as good as she was last. Um, Alcohol-free, I think it's tremendously sporting to run her here, but um, you won't find too many no-nay-nevers winning Group 1 races at a mile and a quarter. And I think it's a big ask for her stepping up and trip. Um, She stays a mile better than I thought she would. I thought at the start of the season. That she was struggled to see the chip out in the guineas and i kind of thought on the day that that she didn't quite see it out but she's clearly done so since um and i you know she's um she deserves uh, all the plaudits uh, for the campaign she's had and jeff smith and andrew balding again deserve a lot of praise for taking the chance of running her in this race rather than finding an easier target but 
I can't really see her staying. I don't think it'll be soft enough for McSweeney. Um, Mohafeth probably should have won over course and distance last time out, but that was a lesser race than this. And I think he'll come unstuck in a proper uh, Group 1 race. If he was good enough to win the International, uh, then I think uh, William Haggis would have been throwing him in the Derby. You know, a lot of people were disappointed that he didn't run there and thought that was a little bit of a um, uh, a, a gutless decision. But I think William Haggis knew that he wouldn't have featured in the Derby. Uh, and and to, to me, he arrived there to win his race. I know Jim Riley gave him a lot to do here last time out, but he arrived there to win the race and he either didn't go through with it or he didn't stay the trip. The extra half for long, just just find him out. And I think in a in a better race, and a race is going to be run at a strong pace as well. I don't think he will see things out either. Um, so the other one to bear in mind, I suppose, is um, uh, Alenka, who was um, a little disappointing uh, behind Hurricane Lane in the Grand Prix to, to Paris, but his form um, up to that has worked out pretty well. And as we've seen so far, you don't want to be um, underestimating the three-year-olds. So I think Alenka might be the biggest danger. Um, to Mishriff, but I'm very happy to go with Mishriff here and he'd be my most confident shout on the day. So Mishriff, a very confident selection for Rory. What about yourself, Andy? Yeah, I, I very rarely tip in races like this. Um, I think the, probably the King George is, is the only group one older horse race, um, all age race I've, I've, I've had a right crack at this season. Um, usually because you get small fields, the shape of them is, is difficult, the paces are hard to work out and you've just got a pretty good bunch of horses to to try and um, uh, fathom out how, what's going to go on. Um, I couldn't disagree with Rory's pick with Mishri. If I think, you know, a strongly run mile and a quarter, extended mile and a quarter should be absolutely ideal for him. Uh, whereas arguably, I think Love probably wants a little bit further. I think she maybe wants a mile and a half. And, and maybe against her own sex, she, she has been slightly underwhelming this season. Um, I'd have to agree with alcohol free as well. I mean, she, she's the one that's caught me out and made me look the biggest fool this season, which is not difficult to do. But... Um, I thought early on in the season when they ran him in the green, I mean, she was going to be a sprinter rather than a, a miler. Um, I couldn't believe they ran him in the guinea. She ran okay, but it still left me thinking that she wouldn't get beyond the mile, certainly a, a mile. And then she went and won on, um, the coronation on heavy ground at Ascot, much to my amazement. Um, but yeah, no nay nevers. You know, you look at the medium average distance that most no nay nevers win at, it's probably somewhere in between six furlongs and a mile. Uh, there's not that many that won over beyond the mile. So mile and don't forget this is a you know a galloping mile, extended mile and a quarter, uh, likely to be run at a fair pace. I'd imagine that Love will make the run in. She she looks the only one who possibly could take take them along. So I can't see her staying. Um, I wouldn't be as probably detrimental to the chances of Murafeth that, that Rory would be. Um, it was a very slowly run race that that horse was involved in last time out. And he was asked to close in off a slow pace when they were quickening. So he's got there, but that, that massive effort that he had from being probably seven or eight lengths behind turning for home to get there, he couldn't quite go again because I think he was, he was on fumes. But I think that was just due to the way that the race was run. I think a more evenly run gallop and perhaps a little bit further up the field I think they'll ride him a bit closer to the pace this time. We'll see him in a better light. But mm -hmm. I think he's a, he's got a ton of class, Murfeth. Um, and the fact that he's had a run at York and they've probably come away from that race with a bit more knowledge of how to ride him. I, I don't think he's going to be um, as far away from this as, as probably what you'd think. 
Um, so I do think William Haggis has got a fairly strong hand with him and Alan Kerr as well. So I might just box those two up because Alan Kerr, don't forget, beat the Derby winner over a mile and a quarter earlier in the season on good ground. And he stays really well, which I think is important. So it's a race if I was going to have a bet, and I'd probably have a bit of fun at the prices and, and back the two Haggis horses. Mo FF in and around the six to one mark. And what we're looking at with Alan Kerr, 14s, did you say, top price? 14s at the minute, yeah. Yeah, they're, 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 they're big prices for horses that, you know, there's been genuine excuses for the last runs. Um, so, yeah, that, that, those those two would do for me at the odds. What do you make of Juan Elcano, who was in front of Mo Harpeth in that race at your last time out? Yeah, I think he was slightly flattered because he was on the speed. As I said, it was a slow run race. We only got an 80 time figure. I mean, most of the group ones we get when they've got a pace is close to 100. So it, it, you wouldn't take that form literally. Um, you know, he was a good seven or eight lengths ahead of Mohafeth with, with four to run. And yeah, half a furlong from home, they're, they're level. So, you know, Mohafeth has, has chipped away seven or eight lengths into a, a genuinely good horse like Juan Ocano. And he's easily the better of him. Um, so I, th- I think the odds have probably got it about right um, with him being a, an out, a genuine outsider in this field. So just to round up, Mishra, for you, Rory, but something at a price that is that Elenka, the one you think could outrun his odds at 14 to 1? Yeah, I'd agree with that, yeah. And Andy, you're also, where are you going with yours, Andy? Who do you like? Yeah, I, 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 like I said, I'm only going to have a round of jinx on the race. It's a race I probably won't put on my, on my column because I'm bound to find something more concrete than what I've got. But for the purposes of this this um, piece that we're doing now, the two haggis horses are fine for me. Okay, great. And then before we go on to the last three races of the day, we'll just go back to the 150, which is the opening race of the whole meeting, the Skybet and Symphony Group Handicap. £70,000 prize fund over just over five furlongs. And you've got some pretty evergreen sprinters in this, including the likes of El Astronaute, and now an eight-year-old. But the market at the moment is headed at 7-1 to one by Hurricane Iver for Tom Marquand and William Haggis. He's the joint favourite, along with Twilight Calls for David Probert and Henry Candy. Then at 8-1, to one, you've got Pendleton, and then it's around 11 to 1 bar with the likes of Mon Damage and at 12 to 1 Soul Seeker. Just a quick word on this event, lads. Anything that springs to mind that makes you, that is a bit of interest for you in this? Uh, Andy, start with you. Yeah, I, one, of, one of the best races on the figures, anyway, certainly from a handicap perspective at, at Goodwood, was the sprint won by Where the Dealing's Done. And we got an extraordinary time figure for that race. And it probably gave me a little bit more of an insight and a clue why Twilight Calls didn't justify my confidence. Um, First and foremost, I don't think Twilight Calls probably handled Goodwill as well as I thought, but more predominantly the ground, it was still on the easy side. He definitely wants fast ground, genuine quick ground, Twilight Calls. don't think he was quite at his best that day, and that's to take nothing away from the winner who won on merit when the dean is done. Um, I think 14 to 1 for Roger Teal's sprinter is, is a fair price, given that he's an improving sprinter that um, could easily make up into a group animal further down the line. He's certainly got plenty of size and scope to do that. Uh, the third horse, Digital, has already advertised the, the form of that race by winning next time out. So I'm pretty comfortable in saying that, based on the numbers, these two have probably got leading claims. The only thing that would put you off would be that they've yet to run at York, either of those two horses. And there's lots of horses who've got solid York form in these kind of events. They they know the 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 ins and outs of the complexities of races like this, you know, the likes of Major Jumbo, the likes of Rod Ridderford, the Copper Knights of this world, those hard-knocking older horse handicappers that have had their nose blooded in these kind of races before on the Naismar, whereas these two I'm dealing with, three-year-olds, they haven't kind of been in that environment yet, albeit they did run in a fast run race last time out. 
But anyway, like I say, those are the two that I'm quite keen on because of that time figure at Goodwood, when the dealing's done and um, Twilight Calls. So when the dealing's done, 12 to 1, Andy said, available at 14 to 1 on Betfair. So, of course, do make sure you shop around and Twilight Calls, the 7 to 1 joint favourite at the moment. What about yourself, Rory, in the opener? Uh, <clears throat> I'm not not enormously confident, but um, I did um, uh, put up Ostilio at a big price for this Jewish Cup, but he had absolutely no chance in that race the way it panned out. He was quite well backed. Uh, he was backed into 16 to 1 at one stage before drifting out on the day. Um, he would have handled the ground okay, but he was on the wrong side of the track completely. Um, and the market has rather ignored the fact that he was punted as if... Um, uh, you know, as if he was well fancied that, and whether that was just because it was there was people betting into a weak market um, in in the Stewards Cup the day before and just after Dex, I don't know. But he's dropped in the weights again, Ostilio, and I think at fifties you can afford to throw a bob or two at him. My argument for him at, at Goodwood was that um, uh, his uh, his trainer is very good at um, reinventing horses as sprinters. It takes a little bit of, of time to do that. Now he was a horse who won the the Britannia Royal Ascot as a three year old over a mile. And he's not an obvious sprinter on paper, but Paul Midgley has gradually been, you know, um, getting there with him, despite the fact that it looks like his, his form looks terrible this season. But he was beginning to get his act together before that run at Goodwood. And as we've seen, he was 17th to 24. The horse that finished 22nd has gone and won the Greats in Wilfred um, easily last weekend. So it shows that different conditions can make a big difference there. Uh, and while five and a half furlongs, I suspect is a little short for him. I don't think he's a 51 shot. <laughs> I think he's more like a 16, 20 to one shot on this. It's a he's a bit of an all or nothing bet. He's not one I'd be back in each way, but at fifties, I could throw a few bob at him. Okay, an interesting thought from Rory Asilio at 50 to one. And remember, Sky Bet, the sponsors of this race, are playing seven places instead of four. So it's well worth checking that out. Just on the last four, uh, three races of the day, chaps, you've got the Sky Bet handicap at 410. We then got it at 445. The Irish Stakes of Phillies Handicap and then at 5.20, the Sky Brett Nursery Handicap. Is there anything at all that springs to mind for those three races, Andy? Start with you first. Um, quite like Scaramanga in the in the 4.10. Paul Nichols doesn't run that many horses on the flat nowadays, but he's never normally a million miles away with the ones that he keeps ticking over. And he beat Rodrigo Diaz last time out at Newbury. And anyone who saw Rodrigo Diaz run um, over the weekend when he chased down the very classy hook and will know that form line is... He's pretty good. Um, I think the Aussie Bloodstock guys have uh, done a shrewd bit of business there with that horse. Um, he, he could be Melbourne Cup bound um, either this year or next year. Uh, Arcadian Sunrise, a horse I've mentioned on this podcast quite a few times, but um, I can't seem to catch him when he runs. Um, I tipped him at Ascot. He didn't run. I tipped him for the Galway hurdle. He didn't make the gig. He got he missed the ballot and then he won, I think, two days later. Um, back at Ballybrit over hurdle, so he's a very small horse, Arcadian Sunrise. So, just a couple to mention there. And again, course form in the last race, um, in the nursery, Bosch uh, running a very, very um, competitive well, it was, it was actually a conditions race, it was one of those sales races called the Ballyhane Stakes last time I had at Nace. But, in all the sense of purposes, that was like a group three, group two event. The winner, the filly of uh, Joe Lyons' is Sacred Bridge, is one of the fastest two rolls I've got so far this season over in Ireland. And he chased her home um, up the standside. But he'd won over the course of distance early on the season when he just got the the the, the um, bobbing finish over Giza Sub. But, you know, Hannon in a handicap here with course and distance form, that's got to be uh, a plus. And, and Jadline as well, he's another one that um, has already proven that he's, he's a course winner um, when winning over five furlongs. And he ran in a good race at Goodwood last time out. So 
the two horses there, Bosch and Jadlan, I think would probably get my um, scrutiny in the final race. Yeah, Bosch looks very, very solid in the finale. What about yourself, Rory, across those three races? Uh, I don't. No prices for the last two, and I'm not massively um, inclined to get involved at this stage. Uh, when we do get prices, I might change my mind. But I'm very keen on Bodyline in the two-mile handicap. Um, he's a horse I liked last season. Um, he he was a, a a good second on quick ground at, uh, at Yarmouth early on, um, and he didn't have the greatest of luck. He, he wasn't. He was a little disappointing at this meeting last year in the Melrose um, after a slow start. But interestingly, he's made the running on his last two. Um, he won at Yarmouth at the back end of last season. And then he was second on his return at Musselburgh, where Luke Morris didn't go fast enough on him. Um, he, he set the pace, but he was um, he rather set it up for a horse with a slightly better turn of foot in Wise Eagle in that contest. But he kept on really well. He battled back when he was headed. And he, he'd be seen to much better effect, um, just maybe given a lead in a, in a really strongly run race. He's a horse who doesn't have a turn of foot, um, really, but he, he gallops on very strongly. And I don't think we saw the best of him last season. He's a big, uh, scoopy horse um, who managed to win it too, unusually for one of uh, one of Mark Prescott's. Um, but I think he'll do better this season than he did last. Um, he remains on a um, on a decent mark. He's got three pounds for getting beaten at, uh, at Musselboro, but that's fair enough. The, the, the winner's um, turned into a bit of a win machine this season. Um, and Bodyline, I think, will come on. Well, I don't, I, actually, I don't think he will come on much for the run. I, I, I argued at the time that he'd be pretty fit for that because he was due to run a Goodwood and came out because of the grind. He needs fast grind. Um, so I'm hoping it gets even quicker than the um, than the current good. If, if it ends up on the slow side, I'd leave him alone. Um, but I think this might be heading towards good to firm on the day, which will suit him really well. Uh, and he'll be well suited by a step up to two miles with a strongish pace. So he'd be, he'd be my idea of one of the better bets in the handicaps there. Okay, interesting thoughts from Rory. So in the 410, he's with Bodyline, whereas Andy likes the look of Arcadian Sunrise and also Scaramanga. And in the 520, Andy likes the look of both Bosch and Jadlan. So just to wrap up, Andy, your best bet on day one of the 2021 Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor Festival? I would say the price is Lord Lucan each way. I think um, that's my idea of a good solid bet, you know. Um, hard to see him not running well. I just, I just, I like the way he's progressing and. Um, as we, Kamari's form is not overly strong. That that race at Rolasco, which um, Rory alluded to, do. I don't think there's been a winner out of it so far. So uh, there's, there's a good argument to be made that Salukan could be or should be close to favourite here, and he looks overpriced. Salukan for Andy in the Great Vulture Stakes around the four to one nine to two mark at three o'clock. And finally, Rory yourself. Uh, I wouldn't. I certainly wouldn't disagree with that. I'd be with Lord Lucan as well, but uh, or Sir Lucan rather. Um, Lord Lucan still missing. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, I'll go he, He's he's. Um, I think he's a standout in the um, uh, in the um, against the next two in the market. Essentially, there. Um, but at a, at a bigger price, no one's. Like, I've got to put up. Mishriff will be the the bet of the day, um, and I'll just leave it at that. Two to one, Mishriff in the future race, the one million pound Jumpmont International. Thanks very much for listening to day one of the Welcome to Yorkshire Ebor uh, Odds Checker Betting Podcast. We'll be back to look ahead to day two, which of course features snowfall in the Yorkshire Oaks very, very shortly. <laughs>